0: Welcome to the three martini lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up. Five days. Five days till election day. I don't know if we're going to know who won five days from now. We might. We'll find out. But uh, we're getting close. We're getting very close. And we've got good, bad, and no, we don't even have bad. We have good and two crazy martinis for you today. All of it brought to you by stamps.com and Jim, the good news should be good news for everyone. Uh, This is uh, economic news coming in on new data from the third quarter. CNBC coming off the worst quarter in history. The U.S. economy grew at its fastest pace ever in the third quarter as a nation battered by an unprecedented pandemic started to put itself back together, the Commerce Department reported Thursday. Third quarter gross domestic product, a measure of the total goods and services produced in the July to September period, expanded at a 33.1% annualized pace, according to the department's initial estimate for the period. The gain came after a 31.4% plunge in the second quarter and was better than the 32% estimate from economists surveyed by Dow Jones. The previous post-World War II record was the 16.7% burst, In the first quarter of 1950, so more than 70 years ago, Uh, Jim Rick Santelli over at CNBC putting a little bit of cold water on this saying once an economy has shrunk, growing by 33 percent is a growth in a smaller economy. But uh, I think we're quibbling a little bit there. This is to some extent a V-shaped recovery. Our output is getting pretty darn close in terms of goods and services to where it was back in the spring. And so uh, while we're not back to where we want to be, certainly employment-wise and in some other categories, this is very welcome news.
1: Indeed, Greg, and you should be looking at that. Everyone in the country should be looking at this and saying, wow, that's good news. I'm really glad to hear that. Now, because this is breaking five days before an election day, and we've already kind of you know incorporated in our minds this concept that good economic news helps President Trump, bad economic news hurts President Trump, there are all kinds of people who, who then want to, you know, like, whoa, whoa I, I, I can't look at what the numbers say. I have to figure out a way to make the numbers say what I want them to say. Right. So very quickly, had a, as we've seen, pretty much since you know late spring when we kind of hit bottom, people jumped out to say, "Yes, but we're not all the way back yet." Well, no, no, of course we're not all the way. Back. It's the end of October, and if you have looked out the window, the pandemic is still going on. We're, we're not going to get. Back to 100% until there's either a vaccine, uh, herd immunity, which I think would be really tough to reach at the pace we're going, um, until people can walk around, go into a store, go into a restaurant for full capacity, get into a crowd, go to a concert, go to a sporting event, until they can go out and do all the things they used to be able to do yesterday's podcast we talked about the ridiculous rules that california wanted to put on for thanksgiving you know get togethers until we can live our lives normally we're not going to have the normal economy we're used to but if you add it all up it comes up to the neighborhood of we're about, now at about 96% of where we were before the pandemic that's really good that's really really close probably should mention greg that you know people are like well how do you you know boy this is really good news for you know uh, the trump administration's exactly what they would want to see couple days before the election how are they going to report it well here's the headline over at the washington post u.s economy grew by record 7.4 percent from july to september but the data is complicated (laughs) don't feel too good about this america here's the fine print
0: yeah, no, that's exactly what we we're talking about yesterday with the uh, the coverage of the riots. They weren't coverage of the riots. It was coverage of the coverage of the riots. Why are you hyping this so much? And so everything uh, runs through a filter for way too many people. Uh, once upon a time, people would be happy to see massive uh, economic growth like this, especially in the wake of what we saw earlier in the year, but uh, especially in this town. This town, Uh, people are just putting it through the political filter. So hopefully it keeps going. But, uh, Jim, in terms of uh, good economic news, uh, it's great news for the country. Uh, There's also good ways to uh, keep your personal balance sheet looking good, and that's to save money wherever you can. And that's where Stamps.com comes in, especially as we get close to the holiday season. And as business ramps up and people are shipping more things, save money on postage. This holiday season, more people are going to be mailing more stuff than ever, and that means the post office could be very busy. You don't have time for that, and you don't have to go. That's the most important thing. Stamps.com brings the post office and now UPS shipping right to your computer. You can mail and ship anything right from the convenience of your home or office because with Stamps.com, anything you could ever do at the post office you can do with just a few clicks at home. Plus, Stamps.com saves you money with deep, deep discounts that you can't even get at the post office.
1: Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office that's sending out invoices, an online seller who's fulfilling orders during this record-setting holiday season, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. You simply use your computer to print official US postage 24/7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or you can drop it off. It's just that simple. With stamps.com, you get five cents off of every first class stamp and up to 40% off of priority mail and up to 62% off of UPS shipping rates. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder that more than 900,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com.
0: Oh, man. We used to have one of those expensive postage meters here at Radio America. Uh, Not only was it super expensive, but uh, it was always uh, having issues. You had to have people come in and fix it. Stamps.com, way, way easier. Don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Sign up for Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. With our promo code 3martini, all spelled out, one word, no space, 3martini, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in all one word, 3martini. That's Stamps.com, enter 3martini. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. All right, Jim, let's talk about the first of our two crazy martinis. Yesterday afternoon, everyone's going to remember 30 years from now, where were you when you found out this news? It's kind of like finding out who Deep Throat was uh, about a decade ago. I don't know how many folks even remember who that was now. It was Mark Felt, former deputy director of the FBI. But early yesterday afternoon, it came over Twitter, where I was watching, and probably other places as well. We are going to find out who Anonymous was. This high-ranking Trump administration official who originally wrote the op-ed and then a book under the name Anonymous. This is going to be a person who separates themselves from the president, blows the lid off of this. It's going to be a person with the kind of credibility that could possibly really shake up this presidential race with just days to go before Election Day. And so we found out, Jim, it was Miles Taylor, the Miles Taylor. And if you're saying, I have no idea who that is, that's the point. He was probably better known when he was anonymous. He was a former official at the uh, Department of Homeland Security, eventually became chief of staff uh, to the secretary of Homeland Security over there. But uh, Miles Taylor has had an issue here over the past 24 hours, Jim. Turns out he was point blank asked by Anderson Cooper at CNN, where Miles Taylor is a contributor, at least as of right now, uh, whether or not he knew anything about Anonymous or even was Anonymous. This was a, a number of months ago. Here's what he said. There was an op-ed. There was a book by someone uh, calling themselves Anonymous. Are, are you aware of who that is? Uh, I'm not. Look, and I, that was a, a parlor game that happened in Washington, D.C., of a lot of folks trying to think of uh, who that might be. I've got my own thoughts about who that might be, but, uh, you know, I you're want not a to be anonymous. on the president, and I certainly don't want to. Uh, I, I wear a mask for two things, Anderson, uh, Halloweens and uh, pandemics. So, no. It's fun to watch that video because Anderson Cooper doesn't find that funny or interesting at all. Uh, So last night, uh, Miles Taylor's making the rounds and Chris Cuomo even reads him the riot act for making CNN look stupid for hiring this guy and for pumping this up for months. And I guess probably more than a year now of this huge administration official who's coming clean. And it's uh, pretty much a nobody. What matters most, uh, certainly to me, you lied to us, Miles. You were asked in August if you were anonymous here on CNN with Anderson Cooper and you said no. Now, why should CNN keep you on the payroll after lying like that? Chris,
1: it's a great question, and I'll just give you the blunt truth. When I published a warning, I said in the book that if asked, I would strenuously deny I was the author. And here's the reason, because the things I said in that book were ideas that I wanted Donald Trump to challenge on their merits. We have seen over the course of four years that Donald Trump's preference is to find personal attacks and distractions to pull people away from criticisms of his record. I wrote that work anonymously to deprive him of that opportunity and to force him to answer the questions on their merits.
0: By lying, I'm showing that I'm a truly honorable person who wants to have these issues addressed. So, Jim, fun to watch everyone react to this. The left is furious because they got played. Uh, the media looks terrible for uh, publishing this guy and, and, and pumping up his resume when it wasn't warranted. And, of course, uh, the conservatives are still trying to regain their composure from laughing so hard. What's your take?
1: You know, Greg, one of the first things that comes out of me is basically his message is, look, I lied so quick because we need to restore honesty and integrity to government. (laughs) So this really stuck in my craw. And I wrote a lot about this in the morning, Jill. And, you know, there are a lot of times we we complain about the media a lot. We generally don't. This this feels Dan Rather-esque. This feels like a giant hoax was perpetuated upon the American public because if they had run this and we had known that this was the, at first a senior, a, you know, policy advisor, and then a deputy chief of staff to the secretary of Homeland security. And then eventually after the op-ed ran, he became the chief of staff to the secretary of Homeland security. We probably wouldn't have found it to be that big a deal. I mean, like it'd be a, you know, I guess a page a six story, you know, it's not, you'd rather not have the deputy chief of staff of Homeland security uh, saying, I think the president is a doofus and we're trying to work against him. This this basically, it was kind of intriguing to see just how widespread the negative reaction was yesterday. But I, I really think this is going to be meaningless unless people take lessons from it. The first for the Miles Tellers of the world is- you, Taylor, You don't really, Taylor, Taylor. <laughs> t- t- Taylor, who? I don't know. Was <laughs> you said it Miles Taylor t-
0: Swift, whatever. T- you said Miles Teller,
1: uh, just- the actor. OK, yeah. well, you know, but well, Miles <laughs> Taylor feels like first of all, his name sounds like an, an alias. Right. If you're if you don't want to if that's that's the you know, the, the, would you sign into the hotel registry if you don't want people <laughs> knowing you're staying there? Um, Miles Taylor. Uh, there's, there's nothing I can say to him that's going to change anything. But to, to anybody else who's out there, if you work for the federal government, if you work for an administration and you belatedly realize, wow, this president is a doofus. I don't like this guy. I think not only do I think he's a doof. first of all, half the people in government think their bosses are doofuses. Read the weed agency, people. This is really not all that you know shocking. This is, you know, I almost every, I'm sure Greg could tell you stories. I can tell you stories about bosses I've had that have been schmucks. This is just part of the nature of the working world. So the first thing is, don't be surprised if you go to work for a place and you're deeply disappointed by the person in charge. Then the next step is, if you're upset with it, one don't expect the New York Times to find it to be a huge deal that you're upset with it, or at least traditionally, newspaper. The deputy chief of staff being really frustrated with the president is not really earth shattering news. So, yeah, and you can once you're in that situation, if you genuinely think not just your boss is a doofus, so the president's a doofus, but that he's, he's harming the country, he's doing genuinely bad things. Well, then you have a choice. You can either suck it up and keep working there because you. Uh, want the paycheck or you think it's going to get better someday or you think you can mitigate the damage All right, okay or you can say you know what I don't want to work for this guy this is not this is an opposition to my moral principles I feel like I'm selling my soul by being here I'm out of here and we've seen people in the trump administration do that we've seen this in a bunch of administrations I think there were one or two folks who left uh, the Clinton administration after he signed welfare reform, they were convinced this was a terrible moral mistake on their part. And you always have that right. You got to go out and find another job. And that can be a, a pain in the neck, depending on the state of the economy and you know how applicable your skills are. But no one's forcing you to stay there. No one forced Taylor, not Teller, right? No one forced him to get into that job. He, I assume he applied for it. I assume he interviewed for it. At any one of those points, he could have said, you know what, I don't know if I believe what this president believes, I should leave. Look, I got a lot of gripes with this president, but every president deserves a staff that is actually on their team. Every pres- when the president says, I want the policy to be X, he deserves a cabinet, he deserves secretaries, undersecretary, everybody on board should be, you, you know either you're on board with the idea or there's the door. Those are your options. There is no, I'm secretly going to sabotage it behind the scenes. You are not some sort of daring allied saboteur behind the lines in Nazi Germany during World War II. For a whole bunch of reasons, but one of them is, Greg, you know they didn't write you know, newspaper op-eds saying, I am working behind the lines in Nazi Germany right now. <laughs> you know, if if you're secretly trying to do something, don't write op-eds talking about how terrific you are. Um, by the way, also that op-ed, I, I think we can now look at it and say a lot of it's nonsense. I mean, he referred to cabinet secretaries having discussions about the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Do you really think they're saying, "Hey, uh, look, I think the president's nuts. I think we got to go. get call in, uh, call in McMaster, call in Mattis, and uh, hey, you know what? Get Teller, the deputy chief of staff <laughs> at DHS. He's he's the kind of guy who we need in on this kind of discussion." <laughs> you know he talked about russia policy i don't know if he'd be in a position to do anything with russia policy how do you even know about that stuff so the whole tone of it and by the way i should mention this on this uh podcast greg as you'll remember and i assume probably a lot of listeners remember i was convinced from early on this was john huntsman who was the u.s ambassador to russia and i kept thinking they are on the hunts for the man who wrote this op-ed and things like that um i was wrong It was not John Huntsman. John Huntsman always seemed like a really incongruous guy to be in this administration. But you know what? I feel bad. John Huntsman, if you're listening, if you're listening, I'm impressed. I don't really think you'd bother bother to listen to this podcast. But if you did, I'm sorry. I should not have so confidently accused you of that. Uh, From everything we've seen, you served loyally and ably and professionally in this administration. I should not have accused you of being this weasel. Um, but as for the, a lot of this is also in the New York Times, which like they knew who this guy was. He was just some schmo. He was just some guy. We no, it wasn't really big news that he thought. It. And they arranged it and they described him as a senior administration official. <clears throat> By the way, he was, I think, 30 when he wrote this uh, op-ed, Greg um that this they, they really left the impression that oh, maybe this is Mattis maybe this is uh I, there are some people at Huffington Post who speculate it was Pence because of the use of the word lodestar you know when you say a senior administration official the impression left was that this was somebody at least a cabinet secretary maybe the head of an agency somebody higher than deputy chief of staff at uh, one particular department It feels like it was all just a big prank. I feel like they were laughing at us the whole time, and everybody thought it was somebody significant. And in the end, it was Miles Taylor, right? Not Teller? (laughs) Not the actor? Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, as I mentioned on Twitter yesterday, this is the second time someone named Miles has undermined uh, an administration. (laughs) Although Miles Papazian in season five of 24 Uh, Actually helped the president that time. He erased the recording uh, linking President Logan to the assassination of former President Palmer. Uh, That was not a very uh, smart move for his career advancement. But Jim, you mentioned uh, the New York Times puffing up the, the significance of the author of this anonymous column, which ultimately led to a book deal. We get a lot of stories based on sources close to the president or sources uh, in a position to know, whether it was on the the Russia reporting or the recent Atlantic story with uh, unnamed sources about what the president had to say about military people. I mean, once something like this comes out, how much credibility do they have on other stories where they won't name their source?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it was Chris Saliza over at CNN early on in this said, look, this is not going to be just some schmo. The, the New York Times is too big, too respected, too serious a paper to use the term senior administration official to describe somebody who nobody's ever heard of. Chris Eliza has a lot of egg on his face. And, I, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time kicking him around because I think he's walking around with a perception of the New York Times that was accurate, you know, probably 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Certainly, I I don't know if 30 years ago the New York Times would have gone along with this. I'd like to think that a generation ago the New York Times would have said to this kid, look, kid, uh, you know, go talk to our reporters and they'll decide if your your problems with the president represent a genuine news story. We're not putting you on the op-ed page and describing you as a senior administration official. You're just not that big a deal. And And something changed in the culture of the New York Times. The New York Times then decided, well, look, look, Nobody knows who this, you know, Miles Taylor is. I keep wanting to say Miles Taylor. Um, Was it Ricochet, the film he was in? Anyway, uh, nobody's going to know who this kid is. But if we describe this person as a senior administration official, people are going to think this is somebody really big. People are going to think that somebody in Trump's cabinet is working against him. We're going to create this giant guessing game in Washington and we're going to create this giant controversy and this probably this even more paranoia within the administration about who's leaking. And in the end, it's this kid. People walk around with the perception of the New York Times. And I think arguably maybe the Washington Post, CNN, institutions like NBC News, with this idea of based on who they were, not on who they are today. And it's, it's deeply frustrating. I, you know, for all of our problems with the media of like you know, the 80s and 90s and maybe into the early 2000s, they're better than these guys. They, they took their jobs more seriously and they wouldn't have played along with something like this. And I really feel this feels like a Dan Rather-esque moment for the national news media.
0: It's been quite a year for the uh, New York Times. You know, they uh, had a huge uprising over Tom Cotton. Uh, Only certain opinions now are allowed on the opinion page. And uh, this guy got pumped up uh, exponentially beyond what was uh, uh, justified in this situation. So uh, everybody. (laughs) I'm sure somewhere in the offices right now, Greg, they're saying, hey, everybody's talking about us. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter, host of the Sarah Carter podcast. Everywhere you look these days, we're seeing an aggressive effort to destroy what made America great, tearing down our history, attacking our freedoms and canceling any person who dares to cross the progressive speech police. We cannot stand by and let this happen. It's time for the silent majority to become the unsilent majority. Join me on the Sarah Carter podcast. Subscribe at Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Well, let's talk about our second crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, it has been said on this podcast and elsewhere, it looks like the presidential race is going to be pretty tight, particularly in the in the swing states. Some of the national polls still show a pretty big lead for Biden, but uh, Trump is now ahead, at least in one poll in Florida, maybe more than that. Uh, and things are tightening. He might have even popped ahead uh, in a couple other Midwestern states, especially in the uh, Trafalgar polls. Those are generally more favorable to him, but... Uh, They did get the Electoral College count right four years ago, so that's a feather in their cap. We'll see how they do this year. Their most recent poll is of the state of Minnesota, which the Republicans have not won since 1972 with the Nixon landslide over George McGovern. That's the only state Reagan lost in 1984, mainly because Mondale was from Minnesota and he barely won it. But uh, looking at some uh, earlier polls, they've got Biden up six in Minnesota in a Star Tribune poll, (laughs) Uh, The center-left Minnesota Post survey has Biden up five. Trafalgar's got it at 3.2 with leaners. Uh, Without leaners, it's 45.9 for Biden, 43.7 for Trump. And with the leaners, it's 48 even for Biden, 44.8 for Trump. And you're thinking, okay, well, what's crazy about this? What's crazy about this is who's in third place. Uh, We don't have the highly prominent third-party candidates this time, like Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. Joe Jorgensen, um, the woman uh, who is the nominee for the Libertarian Party, is in fourth place at 2%, and in third place at 3.3%, well ahead of Jorgensen, Jim, Kanye West. You know, he had all these uh, disappointments of not getting on the ballot in various states. I'm not sure if he's actually on in Minnesota or not, but... uh, He's in third place. So if you're the Libertarian Party, you got to be uh, feeling a little bit down today.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, one, uh, I was doing a, a comparison of Trump's performance in 2016 to the Senate races that year, and how the how the Republican in that. And one of the things that jumps out is how many states where. Um, the minor party candidates: Gary Johnson of the Libertarian Party, Jill Stein of the Greens, and in some places uh, Evan McMullen, the running as an independent. They really just got a much bigger chunk. Now, obviously, you know, uh, as a total of the vote, it wasn't very high, but by historical standards, that was a lot. And in a lot of cases, if you know, Trump's got forty-seven, that's not usually enough. But if Hillary's got forty-five, and the rest are spread amongst these other candidates, Trump wins. He gets all the electoral votes. It really was a surprisingly. Key factor in 2016, and so far it looks like that's not it. Um, uh, Joe Jorgensen is just not as well known as Gary Johnson. He's not doing these wacky interviews on MSNBC with his tongue, you know. Uh, but Joe Jorgensen is a she, by the way. Pardon me. You know that. Uh, um, good luck, Greg. You know you're an extremely bright guy. Can you name the Green Party nominee this year? Not a clue. Howie Hawkins. Okay, and that is not an alias like Miles <laughs> Taylor. Uh, and I don't really think we don't really there's no equivalent of an Evan McMullen that I've seen anybody who's running independent and probably the closest one would be Kanye. Now, when this came out, you're like, oh, my God, you know, you thought Trump was a celebrity candidate. Uh, this this, as you mentioned, he's not made the ballot in a lot of places. I, I'd be interested to see in these places where some people who are really not, you know, tuned into politics. But let's say they're big Kanye West fans. Um, they they love that island getaway his wife had uh, the other day and they just like they go to the polls and and kanye West is not on the ballot do, do they I, I wonder i really wonder what they do i don't know if they're going to uh to break one way or the other or leave it blank or maybe in some places they'll write them in um I, again I, I, as for trump's chances of winning Minnesota, he came within about two points last time and that was you know so obviously that's the one where you're like okay this is a our best chance to flip a blue state this is you know highly targeted um you know and and certainly they put in resources and then the the riots and all that stuff the polling has never looked that great for trump i guess around late august actually you know, they went from a you know eight to nine mark point margin to about a six point margin maybe five you know and so it's okay it's closer um, and now, you know, in the aggregate, it's closer to nine. So I, that survey USA poll putting it within five. Okay, you know, now, now you're, you're almost within striking distance, but I don't think it's going to go there. But then again, if you have this, if, if all of a sudden there's this con a whole bunch of people who show up expecting to vote for Kanye, and they go in some other direction, maybe, you know, something in the 40 some percent range might be enough to win this state. We'll see.
0: They're talking about where the congressional districts where Trump might do well, including Minnesota 7, which is actually represented by a Democrat named Colin Peterson, who was one of the two that did not vote for impeachment in the House. Kanye's got 6 percent of the vote in that district. So, um, Jim, it's a kind of a more conservative district. So could Kanye actually be hurting Trump in a state that could be relatively close?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that, you remember the, the Oval Office meeting, uh, Kanye wearing the Make America Great hat? You know, that, that Kanye West was a very surprising celebrity supporter of Trump. And if you're Trump, you'd rather have him out there, you know, doing events with you and, and you know, encouraging people to vote. By the way, there's, there, you know, this is a, a whole separate conversation, but two of my colleagues, Kevin Williamson and david french paid attention to kanye remember like, about a year ago kanye west announced he was redoing his entire career on gospel yes and he did these series of concerts called sunday services right i did not attend or pay attention to them but my colleagues did and they said that there was some genuine attempt at spiritual growth going on going on in in, in kanye west they were impressed your mileage may vary but i just kind of think that the you know kanye west looks a lot of the times he seems like he's nuts on the other times he doesn't seem like maybe there's some or it seems like there's something, um, something a little more profound uh, cooking up in that in that mind of his. So, you know, he, he, you know, the idea in some ways, you know, jumping in and meeting with Trump in the Oval Office seems like this perfect uh, publicity stunt. But maybe he really does want to improve the country. Maybe he really does want to do something. I don't know if trying to be a celebrity pop star and this half-hearted running for president can't, effort is really the right way to go about it. But um, good luck, Kanye. You've you've got a lot on your plate.
0: Jim, if Trump is reelected, I don't know if Rick Perry is ready for something else or uh, maybe a new office within the Department of Energy. Uh, He could be the secretary of Dragon Energy. I think that would be it.
1: (laughs) I, I was trying to think about Kanye West, Western States. There's something in there. but you know, Actually, we shouldn't say, because you know, if you want to look at you know who had more influence on criminal justice reform over the past three years, there's a serious argument to be made that it's Kim Kardashian West.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They have had a voice that was heard in this administration, and there are people whose lives are vastly and radically changed because they're out of prison and uh, trying to uh, prove that uh, giving them a second chance was the right decision. So from Alice Johnson on to uh, another one that just happened in the last few days here. So they actually have done some good work. Doesn't mean uh, you necessarily want them speaking at your convention, but uh, uh, they, they have had a positive impact, at least in the lives of, of quite a few people here. Amazing. You
1: know, even the dumbest people in the world can probably teach us something. This is not saying that necessarily they're these dumbest people in the world, which just recognizing, you know, everybody's got value in one form or another.
0: All right, Jim, tomorrow's Friday, our last Friday before Election Day. See you then.
1: See you tomorrow, Greg.
0: Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you very much for being with us today. Don't forget our wonderful friends over at stamps.com. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini uh, to get those special deals that we mentioned before. Also, please subscribe to the 3Martini Lunch Podcast. Leave us a kind review and a five star rating. We're always extremely thankful for those. And remember, you can get us on those home devices. You just have to say play 3Martini Lunch Podcast. Have a great day, and we'll see you Friday on the Three Martini Lunch.